coffee to kick in. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. We're Friday, July 18th, 2014. We've got episode 334, and we're coming to you from Studio D at the IAQ Radio, IAQ Training Institute World Headquarters in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me in the studio is our engineer, Jessica Lawson. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Jess didn't see you much this week. I've been on the road. (laughs) Back in Studio C is my co-host and partner, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Always fun to do the show with you. Good day, Cliff. And uh, joining us for the roundup will be our technical director, as usual, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Great to have Dieter on. And today's segments include, we've got an interview with author and bob biologist and healthy home specialist. Um, the name of her book was Healthy Home, Healthy Family. There's a link to the College of uh, Environmental Medicine, I want to say, uh, on the uh, show announcement there. And um, Nicole Bilsma is joining us. And, and thank you for staying up late. Uh, it's 2 a.m. in Melbourne, Australia. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, my first correction is the Australian College of Environmental Studies in Melbourne, Australia. And we will get the website out as well um, and make sure that folks are able to get to that website. As we go through the show here, let's also let people know you can either stream past shows right from our website iaqradio.com or follow the link that says go to the show and then you can download shows from the talk shoe website of course you can also get our shows from the podcast section of itunes we also have continuing education credits available just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com and last but not least please visit the iaq training institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental in Dayton, Ohio, for the first correct answer to last week's trivia question, identifying water as the only substance found on Earth naturally in three forms, solid, liquid, and gas. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, July 18, 2014, has been sponsored by 
TRISCA, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, TRISCA is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the German mathematician referred to by the Latin title of Princeps Mathematicorum, or the foremost of mathematicians. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Okay. My pleasure today, Nicole Bilsma. She's the founder of the Australian College of Environmental Studies in Melbourne, Australia. And I met her in May, we just figured out, at uh, an indoor environmentalist course in South Carolina. And, and she's a fascinating young lady and enjoyed spending some time with her. And I actually wrote back and forth to the class with her, which was even better. Got a copy of her book, Healthy Home, Healthy Family, which is available at that website that we, we discussed a little bit earlier, and aces.edu.au. Nicole is an accomplished naturopath, a building biologist, and a writer and author. She conducts lectures. She's talked to doctors, natural therapists, builders, and more about the health hazards in their home, in homes. And apart from an honors degree in acupuncture, she completed further training in Gangzhou TCM Hospital in China in the early 90s and has extensive experience lecturing in traditional Chinese medicine and naturopathic philosophy at various universities and institutions. She is the author of a bestseller, Healthy Home, Healthy Family, and has attracted numerous radio and television interviews in Australia and maybe around the world. We'll check in a moment. And also a lot of articles, print, and online media. She also will tell us a little bit about the college, which is kind of an interesting. Um, when, I, when Dieter and I were over in Australia, we did a one-day seminar for some of her people that take the biology course uh, through the college there. And it was a fascinating group. And, very interesting uh, day of uh, events that we had there. Let's uh, see if we've got... Oh, we have music, right? We sure do. All right. It's electric. You can't see it. It's electric. you got to feel it. It's electric. Ooh, it's shocking. It's electric. you got to know it. It's electric. That you can't hold it. It's electric. like I'm at a wedding in the 80s. Good job, Cliff. <laughs> Hello, Nicole. Do we have you on? Hello. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. And, and you know, it's so nice to have you here. And uh, listen, I, Nicole, can you real quickly, I alluded to the fact that you started this, what they call a college in Australia. It's the Australian College of Environmental Studies in Melbourne. Can you tell us a little bit about the college before we get into the EMF issue? Sure. Look, the college was established as a result of two reasons. Firstly, I had developed 10 miscarriages from moving into our new home. My husband and I had insomnia when we moved into this home and didn't think that the house could be contributing. I then went on and had 10 miscarriages in this house. And um, a reproductive immunologist in the U.S. was able to pick up that something had triggered my immune response. And uh, lo and behold, we were sleeping on the other side of the wall of the, the meter box. And once I realized this, realized this and started looking into the research, 
had seen that AC magnetic fields at certain levels beyond 15 milligauss could contribute to miscarriages. So we relocated bedrooms, started sleeping better, then I had the, the children and then we moved out of the house and um, yeah, everything got better. At the same time I was working as a naturopath and acupuncturist and started to walk into my patients' homes and I noticed a lot of the time when they'd come into the clinic they would say, you know, I've got asthma, I've got these allergies, I've got chronic fatigue do you think the mould is contributing? And I'm thinking, you know, in my double degree, I don't ever remember doing a mould or talking about indoor air quality or looking at environmental health. So I started to look at the research by the World Health Organisation on uh, indoor air quality specifically, and I was shocked at how much evidence was available about particulates and about VOCs and even then about biologicals and its impact on human health. So... I then established the college, and within three years, I um, got it government accredited. So that's quite an interesting and very time-consuming process because what you need to do is to develop a course accreditation package with other experts and prove to the government that there is a market and a need for the work that you do. So that involves sitting with a variety of different government agencies to do this. And once they, you can determine that this is the case, you can then get the courses accredited, but you're audited every five years and follow ISO 9000 standards and it's very strict. But it means students can get funding. Um, some students are eligible for funding from the government, etc. But it's constantly keeping up to date with what the research around the world is saying determining there is a need for the career that you're developing for students for the course um, and then there are a lot of benefits for that but it's, it's really based on competence-based learning you know what evidence do the students develop the knowledge and the skills they need to ensure that they have the skills to be able to do what we say what we're training them to do Nicole I got I got cut off here hopefully people can hear us now uh, can you hear me Nicole Okay, great. I apologize. We had a little technical glitch with uh, TalkShoe or Skype, one of the two, but we got cut off. Um, let me let me go back a little bit. Now, you, you've explained what's going on with the college, a little bit about your background, how you got involved in, in the biology and, and, and doing more with just indoor environments in general. Let's talk a little more about electromagnetic fields. What are the different types of these fields found in the indoor environment? All right, so the, there are three main types found in the built environment. That's the electric field and the magnetic field, which come from 50 hertz slash 60 hertz frequency that you find as a result of the building wiring and all the appliances that are attached to that. That also includes the exterior, such as high-voltage transmission lines. Um, and you also have radio frequencies used in wireless technology, so that includes your wireless router, your cordless devices, cordless phones, wireless baby monitors, um, your mobile phone towers or your cell phone towers as you refer to them um, and things like that. So they're the main three. Certainly the ones that are of most specific importance to human health are the AC magnetic fields and the radio frequencies because the World Health Organization have classified both of those as group 2b or possibly carcinogenic to humans so they're the two ones that we focus on in the building biology audit well how are emfs measured 
basically your different frequencies are measured in different ways. When you're looking at the extremely low frequencies, the 50 hertz or 60 hertz electric field and magnetic field, you need specific devices to be able to measure those. So with magnetic fields, we use what's called a Gauss meter. With radio frequencies, because as you get higher up the electromagnetic spectrum, the electric and the magnetic field are combined. So we use what's called a high frequency meter. Specifically, the meter I use are the gigahertz HF39B high frequency analyzer, which comes from Germany. And that's specifically used to measure the power density or the strength of the um, radio frequency field. When it comes to uh, radio wireless technology where it's actually affecting the body, you measure what's called the specific absorption rate. And it's the rate at which, say, for example, a mobile phone user absorbs energy from the handset, which is averaged over a six-minute period. That's a laboratory test that uh, government agencies will do to assess their uh, mobile phones and the emissions of radio frequencies from mobile phones. Is the six minutes like the average... Uh, length of a phone call or something like that? You know, why do they come up with that time limit, do you know? No, I don't. That's a good question. I suspect that might be the reason, yes. Uh, what are the different units uh, of measurement? Well, in relation to radio frequencies, you're looking at microwatts per meter squared for radio frequencies, so your wireless technology. That's referred to as the power density. So that's what the standards will look at. In relation to magnetic fields, you're looking at Gauss or microteslas. In Europe, they refer to it as microteslas. In Australia, we use the term milligauss. And they're the, the main measurements that are used for radio frequencies and magnetic AC magnetic fields. I see. Can you give us some quick examples of units of measurement by telling us what type and amount of EMFs uh, a cell phone, for example, would produce? Yeah, well, with cell phones, uh, it's a bit more difficult because the government assesses that through what's called the specific absorption rate, which can only be done in a very uh, controlled environment in a laboratory. And they will measure the radiation of thermal effects, how much it heats the brain in order to create um, a, a thermal heating effect. Um, the, the exposure standards for that will vary but um, generally they're looking at something like up to two watts per kilogram for the head and trunk um, as maximum levels as opposed to your federal com commission uh, which looks at 1.6 watts per kilograms. In terms of wireless technology like wireless routers and cordless phones, when we are measuring those with our high frequency meter, you know, they would easily exceed things like 20,000 microwatts 100,000 microwatts per meter squared, etc. So those levels get quite high. Um, I actually have a text question. I believe that you covered this, but I'm not sure that the listener actually got it. Uh, he's an indoor uh, environmental professional in, in southern United States. And what the question is, is what are your preferred EMF measurement devices and how much do they cost? So, you know, if you could tell us the brands and, you know, the ones that you like and, and the prices, we would appreciate that. Yeah, sure. For radio frequencies, the one that we're using at the moment, and I say that because technology changes, the one that we, we prefer is the Gigahertz HF39B, high-frequency analyzer, which is developed and made in Germany. 
and that's the one used by most building biologists around the world. Um, it, it is accurate, it, it measures full versus pulsed frequencies, um, it gives you peak hold readings. Radio frequencies are really complicated and there's a lot of very useless devices that are available that, that don't provide accurate readings. So that's the one where you want to spend a bit more money on and, and in Australian terms you're looking at at least 1500 to 1600 Australian dollars, sorry what, 1700 US dollars uh, for that meter. For the AC magnetic fields we use the FM10 Fauser, also again a German instrument. Um, which is very accurate. It's about 1,200 Australian dollars. Another one that we use a lot for magnetic, AC magnetic fields is the FW Bell 4180 or 4190, which we get from the States. So that will measure to two decimal places the, the magnetic field. Okay. What can you tell us about exposure standards for EMFs, I guess, you know, in Australia, in the United States, anywhere else? Sure. Um, the exposure standards, the existing standards for both AC magnetic fields and for radio frequencies used in wireless technology are based on acute short-term effects of heating of tissue and induced electric currents in the body. They are not a health-based standard associated with long-term exposure to low levels typically found in the built environment. In addition, so basically we don't have a health-based standard to the levels that are typically found in homes throughout Western countries. They're basically the standards at which immediate health effects occur. So for example with AC, electric and magnetic fields, there's the levels at which it increases blood flow, it causes cardiac excitation, it can lead to injury, it can lead to painful stimulation of sensory or motor neurons. So the levels are at the exact level at which symptoms are likely to arise. There are huge problems with the exposure stands because they're not based on the most vulnerable in our society, our children, pregnant women, the elderly, the immunocompromised. You know, they're based on a six-foot healthy man. Now, of course, wireless technologies is now in all our childcare centres, our kindergartens, our schools, our homes, and yet the standard is not geared towards the most vulnerable. And we, of course we know children are not little adults. They have thinner skulls which makes them particularly susceptible to wireless technology. They also undergo rapid cell division um, which makes them very susceptible to that type of um, electromagnetic fields. So the exposure stands really needs to account for the total exposure to the thousands of types of radiation now blanketing the planet. In Europe and in Australia, the exposure standards are based on the ICNERP guidelines, which is the International Commission for Non-Ionising Radiation. And they were developed in 1999, well before wireless technology took hold in all our schools and in our homes. There has been a huge amount of argument, even by the European Union, that these standards are certainly not appropriate and not geared or based on the precautionary principle. Because of the emerging uh, data that's coming out of adverse health effects. So it's something that really needs to be looked at because it's like so many things that are introduced in our society, our chemicals, our household products. You know, we know 80% of all the ingredients in household products have never been assessed for their impact on human health. 
it's the same with the electromagnetic field standards of the technology that is now in our home and, and workplaces and our schools. It's been released with very little thought or very little effort by the telecommunications industry to prove conclusively that this technology is safe. There's been none of that that's happened. So many of us will feel that, you know, the impact on, on um, children's health and on, our, on everyone's health significantly could be a problem because of the fact that there's uh, no evidence to say that it's completely safe and there's emerging evidence to indicate that it could be, you know, another asbestos tobacco, uh, leaded petrol, a lot of those issues which take time for the um, adverse health effects to occur because of the latency periods. I'm sure yeah. we're going to go into de detail on the health soon. <laughs> well, you know, that's. I'm sorry, Nicole, I'm back. I had to call in on the telephone, but uh, I should be able to stick with it now. And, you know, that's something I'd like to talk about real uh, at this point. What What are the health effects that we're talking about. And let's start with, um, in your book, you talk about, I want to make sure I get the right page here, electrical hypersensitivity. And that there there was a electrical hypersensitivity as a 20th century condition that was first acknowledged by the Swedish as a disability when it was documented in computer workers in the 1980s and more recently by the Canadians. What kind of levels, what type of electromagnetic field was that, and what kind of levels are we talking about? The fields appear to be both radio frequencies used in wireless technology as well as AC magnetic fields and AC electric fields typically found from building wiring and appliances. Now, the, in terms of those fields, magnetic fields occur in a building where any appliance draws current. So the big ones are your meter box, the other ones are your smart meters, they're things like your fridge, anything with a motor that generates, you know, um, that, that draws current. So things like having your bed head on the other side of the wall of the uh, kitchen where there's a fridge or an oven, especially for children, can be a real problem because when the oven is in use, it draws a lot of current and creates a high magnetic field that can come, you know, one, two meters out from at the back of the um, oven, for example. So anything that draws current is where that's, that's creating a problem. The symptoms that a lot of these people with electrical hypersensitivity are developing are things like headache. And that's, headache is something that's unusual in children, but we find a lot of kids um, exposed to wireless routers and that type of wireless technology developing these, these um, grip-like headaches in the frontal and in the parietal areas of their head. Sleep disturbances are massive with electrical sensitivity as they are with um, a lot of clients who are often misdiagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and I find that an interesting um, coincidence with a lot of the clients with mould related illnesses that Shoemaker talks about that these symptoms often correlate with people with electrical sensitivity. So fatigue, long term fatigue, um, sleep disturbances, headache, they have often these chest pain as if someone's standing on their chest, shortness of breath, uh, blood pressure changes, uh, inability to thermoregulate, which is often very similar with biotoxin patients also. Brain fog, everybody talks about brain fog. Um, the dizziness, the confusion, poor concentration, poor short-term memory. I find quite a few of uh, adults 
who with electrical hypersensitivity become dyslexic. So, you know, had no issues with this in childhood, but with increased exposure to electromagnetic fields, become dyslexic and have difficulty learning, etc. Some people may develop things like earache and tinnitus and many ears disease. There is a little bit of evidence in relation to the impact on tinnitus and I'm finding that quite common in some types of um, people with EHS. Others will have this skin rash, this burning, tingling, crawling sensations on their skin, itchiness on the skin, a feeling like there's electric shocks on their skin is quite a typical reaction for some people with EHS. Um, and others will have like fibromyalgic symptoms, the restless legs, the pain in the jaw and the teeth. The jaw and the teeth tend to happen a lot if they have amalgam fillings as well as the metal seems to be acting like an antenna when they have their mobile phone near their head. Um, and many of them are, are sensitive to chemical light, noise and smell. So these are typical symptoms found in a lot of people with electrical hypersensitivity. Cliff, I, I think you had a follow-up. I, I, I did. Um, you know, we were earlier in the interview, you mentioned uh, the World Health Organization classifying some of these uh, frequencies as a group 2B and uh, that that meant that they were carcinogenic in some way or form. And it, it seems to contradict something that I found on the World Health Organization's website that said that based on recent research and an in-depth review of scientific literature, uh, the World Health Organization concluded that current evidence does not confirm the existence of any health consequences from exposure to low-level electromagnetic fields. Um, how, how do those two correlate, or, or, or do, is there something that I misunderstood? If you have a look at the International Agency for Research on Cancer, can, uh, cancer who are a division of the World Health Organization, and you look at the classification for Group 2B, which is that the agent is possibly carcinogenic to humans, it's actually defined for which there is limited evidence of carcinogenicity in humans or sufficient evidence of carcinogenicity in experimental animals. Um, you, they don't get to this classification unless there's mounting evidence to say that there's no longer proof that it's completely safe. And I think the fact that the World Health Organization have had to come up with this Group 2B, the fact that countries like Germany in 2007 are stating to their citizens, please don't use wireless technology. We are concerned about its impact because of the increasing evidence to indicate that it's a problem. You've got things like the Bioinitiative Report, which developed by 31 scientists and doctors, um, released in 2012, citing 1,800 studies of ad adverse health effects associated with wireless technology in AC magnetic fields. You've got the Council of Europe's stating very clearly in 2011 um, waiting for high levels of scientific proof before taking action on electromagnetic fields could lead to high health and economic costs as was the case with asbestos, litter, petrol and tobacco. I mean you have enormous amount of organisations, you've got tens of thousands of doctors who've signed petitions from the Sellerton Statement um, to, uh, you know, to the uh, British Appeal, to the Swedish Appeal, to the Norway Appeal, to the Dutch Appeal, the Belgium Appeal. I mean there's enormous amount of appeals signed by many scientists and doctors throughout the world urging the World Health Organization 
to actually classify electrical hypersensitivity as a medical diagnosis. So, you know, if if the World Health Organization had stated that it is completely not carcinogenic at all, they would have put it as a group four. And they didn't because they could not ignore the mounting evidence to indicate that there is um, sufficient evidence of carcinogenicity in experimental an animals and mounting evidence of carcinogenicity potentially in humans. I think the interesting thing about electromagnetic fields, which makes it such a complicated issue, is that you know, in terms of cancer use, the, the evidence is generally related specifically for mobile phone or cell phone use. Um, and these types of tumours, the gliomas and acoustic neuromas, typically found brain tumours that are, are found in, in heavy mobile phone users. These latency periods take 15 to 25 years. And really, if you think about it, how long have cell phones been in the general population in Western countries? It's been, you know, 15 to 20 years. Now, it's interesting, I was just reading up in Australia, the incidence of those tumours, gliomas and acoustic neuromas have increased by 35% in Australia between the year 2000 and 2008. So that was before that latency period had even occurred. So the fact that we're finding that the, there are incident, increased incidences in these brain tumours, specifically in mobile phone users, is a concern that they're starting to, to uh, look into. Ironically, a lot of that research was coming from Professor Leonard Hardell in Sweden. He was really the pioneer at warning everybody of his concerns about these two unusual types of brain tumours in uh, cell phone use. And it looks like a lot of the data he was coming up with, you know, in the late 1990s is actually coming to fruition. Nicole, let's, let's go back for a second. In that statement Cliff uh, read, it says that uh, based on recent in-depth review of scientific literature, the WHO concluded that current evidence does not confirm the existence of any health consequences from exposure to low-level electromagnetic fields. I think the key word for me is low-level electromagnetic fields. Do you know if that's defined? You know, what's what's low? What's high? What is it? Is it all electromagnetic fields or? Is it just um, the mobile phone, electromagnetic, the radio frequencies? Is it the magnetic? Is it the electric? I'm a little confused on that. Mm. <laughs> you and everybody else, <laughs> they would be looking at uh, the electromagnetic fields in the built environment specifically. Now, when you look at what's going on here, is remember when we looked at the exposure standards, they're looking at tissue heating effects. The, the heating effects of the brain and the central nervous system to cause adverse health effects. There's been a lot of talk by a variety of groups that I've already mentioned that these tissue heating effects are not an adequate way to determine adverse health effects from electromagnetic field exposure. That in fact there is a lot of evidence of non-thermal um, effects, adverse health effects that can arise from uh, use typically found in the uh, built environment. So when they're saying there's, there's not a lot of evidence, in fact, that's why the Bioinitiative Report was developed by these scientists around the world. With the ICNERP standards, the problem with a lot of these standards is the standards are developed in consultation with industry, where there's telecommunications industry involvement. So they have quite a bit of say as to what those standards should be and it's often developed in a way to prevent litigation in occupational exposure such as you know, magnetic resonance spectroscopy, for example, MRIs. You know, there's high levels of magnetic fields, so they set them high 
in terms of preventing that litigation that can occur because they're going to be exposed at higher levels. This is why there's been so much uproar by the European Union, the Council of Europe, Germany, um, Italy, France. If you have a look at who does not follow the ICNERP standards, you'll see that there are a multitude of countries, Switzerland, China, Israel, India, Italy, um, uh, Poland, who don't have these, who don't use the standards set by the World Health Organization because they don't think it's adequate. In fact, their standards are 100 times lower than what's uh, recommended by the World Health Organization. Salzburg, Austria has one of the strictest standards for radio frequency exposure from cell phone towers and cell phones, and they're a million times lower than what's recommended by the World Health Organization because they are very concerned about the emission of, of radio frequencies used in wireless technologies. So whilst we have the World Health Organization and the International Agency for Research on Cancer recommending that the standards are appropriate based on thermal effects, there is enormous amount of evidence and particularly the Bioinitiative Report is probably the best that looks at the, the studies. It, the fact that it's been written by um, scientists and doctors who don't have a conflict of interest with the telecommunications industry who provided really good, um, you know, over 1,800 studies to look at the non-thermal effects, biological effects of electromagnetic fields and wireless technology on human health is, you know, a good reason to be concerned for citizens to actually implement the precautionary principle and state, you know, in order to reduce our exposure, we need to start doing something about this. We need to start rethinking about bringing wireless technology into our school and sticking with hardwired ADSL cable instead and other, th other measures like this. You know, min okay. minimising use of mobile phones in children, for example. I'd like to get into more about how to, to prevent the, the potential for these health issues after halftime. And, and I want to follow up a little bit on the Sweden, and, and I, it looks like, it, like they, they agreed that there was a compensation due to these people. And I also want to talk about hard, hard wiring in a moment, but we've got to stop for just a minute and thank our sponsors. Thanks to our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Cole, do I have you back on the line? 
I am. I'm here. All right. Let's go back to that Sweden thing for me, if you would. Um, and this was electrical hypersensitivity. And back in the 80s, I guess it was, it was documented in computer workers. Are you Welcome to Talk Show. Please enter the call. Enter your PIN followed by the pound key. If you You are now joining the call. Recorded live. You are unmuted. Basically, all your uh, new monitors are following the Swedish standard, which is um, means that they're low radiation screens. So the visual display units nowadays, because of their research, is very low, and it's very rare to be to actually be a problem um, for most of the public. If anything, with the computers, it's more likely to be where the motor is generating a magnetic field which stops off quickly with distance. Now, the other thing I noticed in your book was you, you focus a lot on the hard wiring. And, and there appears to be times when, for whatever reason, whether it's wired improperly or grounded improperly or whatever, that that, that creates electromagnetic frequencies that could be health problems for people. Give me some solid numbers on your jobs when you're out there. What's normal in a well-grounded home, in a, in a home that's you know working properly, and what have you found in other homes where people had complaints? Okay, so the two fields that we look at are AC magnetic fields generated from the building wiring and appliances and the wireless technology radio frequency fields. So let's start with AC magnetic fields. Generally, we check the back, like with mold, you check outside, you use it as your baseline, you come inside and you check the inside levels. Um, we'll be looking under one milligauss outside and inside. Now, as we get closer to an appliance, especially one that draws current, it's going to be higher. So that can go up to, like for example, the highest source in the house will be the smart meter um, or the conventional meter box. And that can generate anything in excess of 500 milligauss especially if, depending on how many appliances are on in the home. So, for example, if the, the oven is on, then the amount of the magnetic field is going to be significantly higher at the meter box because the oven draws more current than any other device. Now, providing you don't spend time near that device, this is the thing. All appliances are going to generate magnetic fields, but they're not going to be a problem, providing you don't spend a long time near them. So this is why the bedroom becomes such a critical point of um, testing as a bowel biologist because you're making sure that during the sleep cycle that people aren't exposed unnecessary to magnetic fields in excess of 0.2 milligauss, which is the building biology standards. Because we know that um, radio frequencies and AC magnetic fields reduce melatonin production. Uh, they reduce melatonin excretion in the urine. And melatonin is the anti-cancer hormone. It's the free radical scavenger. It's also the one involved in the body's circadian rhythm. So it's often the first sign of electrical sensitivity, hypersensitivity in clients, is sleep disturbances, which, are, which is what I find interesting in relation to mold-related illnesses in people with chronic fatigue syndrome, that they often have very similar symptoms. And we need to differentiate, is this a mold-related issue here? Is it an electromagnetic field issue? Because because they can often be mimicking very similar symptoms. 
So in terms of the building line, etc., I'm not advocating we go into, you know, and, and sleep in a hemp tent and, and don't have electricity. I love my electricity. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is that most of the time it's not going to be a problem unless you're sleeping near a digital clock radio that's emitting, you know, over 200 milligauss, over 50 milligauss. These digital displays, the digital clocks generally emit very high magnetic fields that drop off quickly with distance. So when it comes to uh, uh, solutions, it's called the inverse square law. And it essentially says when it comes to electromagnetic fields and the physics of radiation is such that as you double the distance away from the source, you effectively reduce your exposure by 75%. So if you're going to have a digital clock radio to get you up in the morning, put it at least a metre and a half away from your bed, not on your bedside table, you know, within half a metre of your head, put it on the other side of the room so you have to actually get out and hit the, sno the snooze button. Um, things like make sure when you put your bed head against the wall, what's on the other side? Is that drawing current? For example, in a child, you don't want a child's cot butting up against the wall where the, the fridge or the oven is going to be because the fridge motor will kick in and out during the day and night. And when it kicks in and starts cooling the fridge, it's going to generate a magnetic field that will come out one and a half metres or so um, through the wall. And then you often find kids have very restless sleep and they move around a lot in, the, in their beds and they're irritable. And, of course, we come in, check the readings, get the fridge on to see what they're sleeping in, move them, you know, a metre and a half away to another wall and suddenly this child sleeps for the first time in its life. You know, it's that simple. So it's looking at where the sources are and making sure that where you spend time, where you sleep, your favourite couch, where you prepare food, women particularly, when they're preparing food at the kitchen bench, that they not uh, don't have their reproductive organs near the dishwasher, which has a digital display. You know, if they're preparing food and the, di and the dishwasher's immediately underneath them at, level, at the same height as their reproductive organs, that's a problem. So it's making sure that that doesn't happen. It's just using some really common sense. So it's checking those areas of the house where they spend time to make sure they're not exposed to high AC magnetic fields. So the levels we're looking at are ideally below 1 milligauss in a living space and you know, below 0 0.5, 0 0.2 milligauss if you can in a, in a sleeping area. With radio frequencies and wireless technology, as soon as you have a wireless device, it's going to be off the chart. It will exceed the building biology reading of 10 microwatts. It's impossible to get within the building biology recommendations if you have wireless devices in the house. Because let's face it, when you have a wireless router, when you're at home, you can pick up you know, your neighbour's router. You know, they've got their, their wireless router on because you're picking up the signals on your iPads, on your iPhones, etc. Um, you can pick it, you know, in your neighbourhood who's got their devices on because when you buy these wireless routers, they are geared to be able to radiate very large levels in order for the fact that you don't complain to the manufacturer that, you know, your iPad can't pick up the signal when, it's at the, when you're in the back of your home. Ideally, if you wish to use wireless technology, which I suggest you don't, but if you do, then turn it off when you're not using it. So it's not radiating 24 hours a day, this pulsed radio frequencies, which can be picked up upstairs, downstairs, you know, to one end of the house, the other end. The closer you are to the wireless router, the greater the level of exposure, because again, it's about the inverse square law. The closer you are to the source, 
um, the highest level. So as you double the distance, you reduce your exposure by 75%. Wireless technology like cordless phones, you know, cordless phones on your bedside table while you're sleeping, that's a real problem. Why? Because again, radio frequencies affect melatonin. So it's really important that you don't have cordless phones next to your phone, next to your bed. Um, ideally, you have a hardwired cord phone that's hardwired into the building wiring and uses your, you know, 60 hertz frequency, not radio frequencies or wireless technology. In fact, cordless phones have been shown to be almost doubling the incidence of gliomes and acoustic neuromas as compared to cell phones, which is really interesting in research that Leonard Hardell did because what people find is because they don't see their cordless phone in the same way they see their, their um, cell phone, they use it a lot more, thinking it's safe. But of course it uses wireless technology from the handset to the cradle. So, and that is a problem. So it's looking at what your sources are and when it comes to wireless technology, really your best options are to avoid it and to use hardwired connections instead. So with my computer, I have ADSL or cable. It's hardwired. It's not wireless. With my mobile phone, which is an important part of my business, I use loudspeaker. I text as much as I can instead of making a call. I get to a hardwired phone as often as I can. If I do have to use the mobile phone, I'll use an earpiece, an air tube earpiece. So it keeps a distance from a vital organ like my brain. By keeping it 30 centimetres or so from my head, I can reduce my exposure by at least 99%, um, again, because of the inverse square law. So with electromagnetic fields, the solution is very simple. With wireless technologies, go with hardwired cable connections with AC magnetic fields and, and be, be mindful where you're spending time and making sure you're not near appliances. So the, the appliances, but I guess the one I wanted, and Cliff, do you have a follow-up before I go into this? I, I do. I, I have a question, and I'm not sure whether it's appropriate or, or it's not appropriate. You know, in the United States and in Europe, um, the voltage coming into the home is, is similar. In the United States, typically in a residence, we're going to have 220 volts uh, coming in. Then what we do in the United States and what's done in Europe is, is different. You know, in Europe, that 220 voltage runs throughout the house. In the United States, you know, we cut that in half, uh, and it's, you know, 110. So I'm wondering if the voltage is in half, does that somehow reduce the uh, amount of uh, electromagnetic field, or is the voltage unrelated to the field? The voltage affects the electric field, yeah, whereas current... Uh emits the magnetic field so when i was in the states there recently measuring that it didn't it was very similar to what i would find in australia with my appliance with the appliances here we have 240 volts in our system and um the voltage generally relates to the electric field voltage is electricity under pressure so it's different but it really didn't make much difference in terms of the readings when i was there in the states okay thank you so you had the equipment. I didn't get to play with it, Nicole. You've got to learn from you. <laughs> I, I do have a follow-up with the hard wiring thing now. Have you give me some numbers on that with respect to a, a home that's you know wired properly, and then have you found like when it wasn't grounded properly or um, the ground wire the wires were switched in you know one area of the home? What kind of spikes do you see there? Okay. 
so for example the age of the house tells us a lot about the potential hazards you know lead asbestos blah 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 with magnetic electromagnetic fields in a house built prior to the 70s and what we did in australia was we had a lot of uh, domestic water pipes were metal so we used to put the earth wire onto that pipe in the case of you know if in the case that the building wiring wasn't balanced then you know it would go through the metal water pipe so we often find that a lot of older homes here have high magnetic field readings on the floor where the metal water pipe is so you know this is a concern when it comes to kids playing on the floor that all of a sudden you're having these high readings of 30 milligauss, 40 milligauss. So looking at the magnetic field, anything above 4 milligauss is associated with a doubling in the incidence of childhood leukaemia. That first came out in 1979 by Wertheimer and Leeper, who were looking at um, the incidences of cancers in, in a certain state of America. I can't remember which state it was at the time. And what they did is, before the privacy laws, they went to this hospital, found out all the children who were diagnosed with leukaemia, got their addresses and drove to their homes and to see if they could find anything that could be contributing to their leukemia. And lo and behold, they found that the great majority of these kids were living near high-voltage transmission lines. And they found that anything from... They got an electrical engineer involved to develop a device, which we now know is a Gauss meter, to measure what was coming from these fields. And this is measuring the AC magnetic field. And they found that anything above 4 milligauss was associated with a doubling in the incidence of childhood leukaemia. Since then, there have been quite a few studies. And as a result of that, in 2002, the World Health Organization classified AC magnetic fields as possibly carcinogenic to humans. So the big, the big figure that we definitely don't want to get anywhere near is 4 milligauss in a home environment. And you will easily exceed that if you're sleeping near the meter box, which emits, you know, 30, 40, 50, 400 milligauss, depending on how many appliances are on um, that are, you know, drawing current through that meter box. So generally that's why we say in building biology we don't want anything above 2 milligauss in a living space, living room, living area, kitchen, etc. We don't want anything above 0 0.5, 0 0.2 milligauss in a bedroom. You want to keep it low. So that means keeping away from anything that draws current. So that's the AC magnetic fields. With the radio frequencies, we want to keep below 10 microwatts. Now, if you don't have wireless devices in your home and if you don't have, you're not living close to a mobile or cell phone tower or um, neighbours that have, you know, their wireless router near your, near your building, then you, you'll have no problems exceeding, you know, having zero uh, emissions of radio frequencies. Now that everyone's using wireless technology, it's cheaper, everyone and his dog has got a cell phone, etc., and wireless routers. You know, homes that in multi-storey buildings, in multi-storey apartments, uh, is becoming a nightmare because, you know, when we're going there to test these homes, the client has no wireless technology in their apartment, but we're picking it up from downstairs, upstairs, the sides, from exterior sources like cell phones, and there's very little apart from using very expensive shielding that we can do to actually reduce their exposure. So that's the problem. You're getting situations where it's out of your control. Cliff, do you have a follow-up? Uh, no. All right. I, what I, I, this has been fascinating. What I'd like to do, Nicole, I, I you know, I, I kind of missed a little bit early on because I was, unfortunately, and I'll listen to the, the recording tomorrow, I was a little bit of... Uh, 
problem here technically. And then I, I want to talk real quickly about the three axes. The, you know, you had the three different axes uh, that you were measuring in, um, I think it was uh, the mag. Uh, the magnetic fields, the X, Y, and the Z. What, what's that all about, Nicole? Okay, so with magnetic fields, you have to measure in the X-axis, the Y-axis, and the Z-axis. Cheap meters will just do a single axis, which means you have to hold the meter in those three different axes, wait till it, it settles, get the reading, and then times it, and then square root the whole figure to determine what your overall exposure is to magnetic fields. A more expensive meter will do that for you. It'll pick up each the measurement AC magnetic fields in each axis, X, Y, and Z, and then square root it, times are square rooted, and then give you an overall reading for magnetic field exposure. For radio frequencies, you use a completely different meter, um, and the reason is because the electric and magnetic fields combine as you go up the electromagnetic spectrum. So with a radio frequency meter, you need an, an antenna because you're actually pointing to see where that radio frequency emissions are coming from. The problem is with radio frequencies, it's complicated because if you have, for example, the radiation coming in from a mobile phone through a window and then it's coming into your building and reflecting off the vapour barriers or any metal vapour barriers, etc., the sizilation or the sarking, it bounces back into the building. So what we're saying now is that you're you know, building a home with steel frame, metal roof, concrete slab with reinforced steel is like a Faraday cage, and that is a disaster to bring wireless technology in because once it's in, it will be reflected and refracted off those building materials and create hot spots in the home that you do not want to be sleeping in or spending time in, those spots. So what's happening now is I've been spending quite a bit of time talking to building designers and architects and saying you need to have a good understanding of how electromagnetic fields are affected in the, in the building from this type of technology. All right, I'm going to give this a try. Can you hear me, Nicole? I can. All right, we were having some problems with the technology, and of course I'm going to get a beep now because I put my phone on hold just in case. We would like to go to our roundup, Nicole. i got to get Dr. Wow in here and get his thoughts. Uh, I, I'm, I always like to try and anticipate what he's going to say, and I'm almost always wrong, but let's go to the roundup, Jess. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. All right, let's go. Let's get Dr. Wow on the line here, Jess. Go Germany. Way to go, Dieter. World Cup champs. Yeah, well, here we go. Good, uh, good morning, Nicole. Hello, Dieter. Hi, I tell you one thing. I... Uh I agree with a bunch of things that you are saying. And by the way, as I'm sitting over here, I'm doing everything wrong. I'm surrounded by a printer, a computer, a um, a monitor, a wireless phone. And the router for my computer is about three feet away. That is one meter for you. 
uh, away from me. So, uh, and I have an electric blanket. <laughs> it's, wow. I, it's, uh, it's, I think, a wonder I'm still alive. But anyway, one quick question. Do frequencies make a difference? I would say yes. On the other hand, I don't see a lot of uh, you guys work with 220 volts like in Europe and 50 hertz. We with 120 and 60 hertz. Uh, I don't know. Does that? Do you think that makes a difference? No, I, I don't. As I said, when I was there in the States and I brought my equipment to measure it, I mean, the voltage will affect the electric field and the, and the current will affect the magnetic field. But the, the appliances I was measuring were very similar to, to what we would normally detect when we're, you know, in Australia or Europe, for example. Yeah. So, no. I would I would expect that it doesn't that I mean uh, yeah we are not talking about five hundred and five thousand or fifty thousand you know there's a, but I know years ago years ago I read studies on technicians they crawled up the antennas of television stations yes. And they had to repair it. The television station did not turn down, turn off the signal. So they were within feet of whatever comes out of there. Uh, and uh, they had problems. Yes, exactly. Well, that's where the first research with radio frequencies was coming from, the military and from telecommunications industry workers yep. in terms of cancer risks and other things like this. Yes, absolutely. That's where the evidence was first indicating that they had adverse health effects, and it's since grown from them. And that's why, you know, Sweden, Spain and Canada have, are now acknowledging electromagnetic hypersensitivity as a functional disability. The Austrian Medical Association now have guidelines for GPs on how to diagnose electrical hypersensitivity. So there's a lot going on, especially in Europe, in relation to um, re changing the exposure standards, reducing the exposure standards, and bucking the trend and not following the World Health Organization guidelines because they don't believe that they are protective enough, especially for children. I mean, yeah. you know, March last year, the French Parliament passed an amendment to ban Wi-Fi from nurseries and kindergartens. Well... You know, Israel has restricted people Wi-Fi. All for it for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> give them a teacher. Don't give them a dumb phone. Yeah. Uh, but that is all right. But um, you know, I can see that. I, you know, when I grew up uh, in uh, uh, after the war in Germany, um, I think we had two radio stations. In all of Germany, uh, there was no television. Uh, certainly in the village where I was, there was no water, no electricity, and no gas. So my exposure was zero, which probably was good for me. That's why I'm six foot four. That is one meter ninety six <laughs> for you, uh, tall. And I have made it to the amazing life of 75 years. Oh, and... Um, so, uh, yeah, I didn't get any of these exposures, but uh, I agree with you. We are bombarded, and like you said, in a, in a um, apartment building, you know, there are 100 apartments, there are 100 um, uh, routers, there are 100 cell phones or more, 
I know good friends of mine. They have four or five cell phones at home for the kids, for yeah. for security. I don't know how that works, but that does happen. Yeah. But it's anyway, safe because we have no control. It's, it's going to emit a dilemma for science because there is effectively virtually no part of this planet that isn't being bombarded in some degree or form by radio frequency. So how, where's your control group? Yeah, that, that, that is exactly my next point. This is the problem. How do we do an epidemiological study? You know, it's screwed up everywhere. We can't really, well, we could put monitors on people and say this person was today exposed to blah, 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 that many milligals. Yes. And uh, said if he more or less uh, behaves the same way, that is clear, monthly or whatever uh, uh, yeah. uh, yes. exposure. I think, too, I mean, we didn't get time to go through the biomarkers, but probably the thing that worries me most as a mother with young children is the evidence is coming out that radio frequencies and wireless technology could increase the permeability of the blood-brain barrier. Now, if you do this, and you know each generation that's coming through is, has an increased body burden of chemicals in their core blood, in their, in their body, yeah. and, of course, with mould, if you allow that fungi and those mycotoxins and those bacteria to get into the central nervous system because you've made it more permeable as a result of wireless technology, we are setting up the perfect storm. And we wonder why autism, ADHD, neurological yeah. and cognitive development in children is being affected. Yeah, I would like to see uh, more studies, and we talked about that in Melbourne. Uh, you know, you need more money. One needs, not you, but one needs more money to study that. And I guess the electrical companies are not going to fund such research. No, they're not. And if they don't like the research the telephone that they're funded, yeah, if they don't like the research they're funded, they don't publish it. So the, the public never knows the adverse health effects because, you know, if they, if they actually do the research, the chances are that there's 40% chance that there's going to be, uh, you know, more than 60% chance that there's no adverse effects. If it's independently researched and funded, then you'll find 70% of the time they will show an effect, an adverse health effect. So well, maybe. I don't, that, again, I, I, I would like to see that. And, I mean, I look, I go even one step uh, further. Uh, we use nuclear magnetic resonance to study the body. And, um, yeah, uh, uh, NMRs. Uh, that people are getting. And of course, I know that cells in the body react to the shaking of the frequencies when you take a nuclear magnetic uh, uh, resonance uh, 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 test. You know, there's no doubt about it. Now, yes. fortunately, or not, you don't do that every day or uh, for eight hours a day, it's minutes, which is all right. And I get chest x-rays, and that is for a tenth of a second. I get radiation shot through my body, but I don't do that every day, and I don't do that every week, and I barely do that every month, uh, every year. So, um, 
medicine, medicine actually uses electromagnetic fields to treat depression, heal bone fractures, treat neonatal jaundice and reduce pain. I mean, they're using EEGs, ECGs, they're using electromagnetic frequencies to diagnose and treat many illnesses and yet they won't acknowledge that it causes adverse health effects with the technology we're using. Yeah, well, yeah, like, I, like I said, uh, uh, x-rays are very useful, very useful, but ask uh, uh, Mr. Röntgen uh, uh, whether that is good for the body if you do it unshielded for basically yes. half a lifetime. Exactly. So that is a problem. Any, uh, um, um, uh, Cliff, are you still there? I am, I am. Uh, did we get an answer to, I should know that German mathematician, right? Well, we, we got two answers, but tell me if you know the answer. Well, <laughs> there is a good reason for it. Probably, probably one of the brightest was Gauss. That's it. But I think the better one was Leibniz. Well, Gauss was who we were looking for because it kind of tied into, uh, you, you know, uh, the, the show and the measurements. Yes, he did it all. He was in epidemiology. I mean, he did not only math. Uh, he did statistics, quote, epidemiology. He was absolutely brilliant. In fact, I have a picture of him on my wall over here because he was on the five uh, mark German uh, currency for years before they switched it to the euro. Huh. In fact, I have two of them. I saw in the back, <laughs> the front of it. So like I always say, yeah, Leibniz, Leibniz lived in a beautiful town of Wolfenbüttel. Uh, he independently of Newton developed calculus. <laughs> and I know that because I lived in Wolfenbüttel and my grandfather pointed out and said, this is where Leibniz, I don't even know, Wilhelm? I think Wilhelm Leibniz, I don't know. Sure. That's where he lived. And Wolfenbüttel, by the way, for those of you who drink Jägermeister, Oh, I love it, I love it. Uh, that was developed by a Dr. Must, who happened to be the neighbor of my grandfather. I know the wow. original Dr. Must. He we're not still alive now, are we? In the town of Wolfenbüttel. Yes, we are. That's a, a, a relatively small town, very beautiful little town in Germany, wow. in eastern part of Germany. Interesting. Hey, well, Dieter, we're going to wrap it up here. Nicole, before we go, um, I was thinking about this and all the places I go, you know, and I, I put my laptop on and I try and get a, a wireless connection. It seems to me the place I get the most different, you know, it, it'll tell me how many different um, options are available with respect to somebody's got a phone on. There's a wireless here. Seems to me airports are, have got to be a place where there's a lot of EMFs. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other place that, you know, besides the apartment but, buildings? And... Joe, think of the radio communications. There are thousands of airplanes uh, in the air, and they're all communicating. Yeah. yeah. Continuously. I wonder if there's been any studies yep. on the guys in the, um, in the towers. Yes. And uh, hospitals, of course, you know, with their testing MRIs and things, they have very high levels yeah. as well. But in the, in the home environment... You're generally looking at what you bring into the house. Your wireless router, as I said, that's a really big one. If you're going to have it, 
you go you want to put it away from where you spend time in the roof space in, above a spare bedroom or in the hallway or something away from where you're sleeping turn it off when you don't use it you know only have it on when you do because it's radiating 24 hours a day from the, the router and you can pick it up from outside because it's designed for you to be able to use your wireless devices all, all around the house so I would argue until the research can say conclusively that it's safe, I would stick with a hardwired option instead, especially if you have children. Well, thank you for joining us today. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, I think I got to say a lot of what I wanted to say. I think the fact that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, France is pulling Wi-Fi out of kindergartens and Israel is restricting use of Wi-Fi and, and all those things. I've got a lot of really useful DVDs and videos on my website. Can I mention my website? Absolutely. I've got the buildingbiology.com.au. There's a lot of very useful information of the health hazards in the built environment, not just electromagnetic fields, but also chemicals and makeup and water contaminants and, and other things like that, which your listeners will probably find useful. And what was that? Give us that one more time, the website. It's www.buildingbiology.com.au. Dot AU. And, you know, the other thing, we've got to get you back sometime, Nicole, because I didn't even get into some of the natural um, sources of, of uh, EMFs that you talk about in the book, which I found really fascinating that, for instance, the Aborigines didn't, you know, they knew that certain parts of, of Australia were not good places to be. Um, and then you talk, uh, let me get one quote before we go here. I, I think Dieter will appreciate this one. It's from the book. I've got to pull it up real quick here. <laughs> it's actually, um, oh, i got to find it. It's from Einstein, Dieter. You'll love it. Here we go. All right, Albert Einstein. I know very well that many scientists consider dowsing as they do astrology, as a type of ancient superstition. According to my conviction, this is, however, unjustified. The dowsing rod is a simple instrument which shows the reaction of the human nervous system to certain factors that are unknown to us at this time. I love that quote. Nicole. Gotta be kidding. Nope. Albert Einstein. Wow, that is profound. <laughs> Dear, wow. thanks so much for joining us. I didn't us. know that one. Now I know. That's a good one. And, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to talking to you again. Terrific. Thank you so much, guys. All right. This day. is Radio thanks. Joe saying thanks to the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Cliff, great show. Good, good night, Nicole. All right. Good night, Dieter. Uh, of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Thank you, Jessica. We'll clean up our little bloops at the beginning of the show here skype gave us fits today most in paul by the way next week what a great show hey we've got uh bill banfleth of, of penn state he's an indoor environmental quality expert also the immediate past president of ashray going to come on and talk to us about all kinds of things indoor environmental quality but also talk a little more about the big announcement this week that uh, ASHRAE and the Indoor Air Quality Association are now joining forces. I don't know what they're calling it. I heard it's not a merger. IAQA is going to be a division of ASHRAE, whatever the case may be. 
We're going to have Bill Banfleth on next week, and we're trying to get Kent Rawhauser, and I'm hoping Eva King, who was on listening earlier, will also be able to join us in two weeks. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the big of a merger or grouping or partnership or whatever it is. And also, Bill's just great about all kinds of things, indoor environmental quality and building science-wise. So please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. You've been talking-